Swanson to first. to win the Super Bowl, and they have sealed the deal. The long wait has ended after a half century. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions once again. And Lightning has struck twice. And the Tampa Bay Lightning are back-to-back Stanley Cup champions. Episode 124 of For Future Considerations. Welcome back, everybody. The gang's all here. Matt Dumichel, I see well, him. Hi, Manny. Hey, and John is done with his humble brags and bullshit, and he's back again. Rashad right, hired someone to count and fold my money, so we're yeah. Gonna... Uh-huh. Have you have you have you lost all the money after your Derby winnings <laughs> that you so eloquently shared on the last show? <laughs> no, it's all safe and sound. Didn't you tell us in our group chat that you were going to spend it a certain way? Yeah, actually, my phone's right here. Let me just uh, refer. Continue on, guys. I'll, I'll find the message here in a second. <laughs> my wife's in Winnipeg this week, so just to put this in context. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back and have a listen to the first show of the week, the main debate show where John Rashad couldn't stop patting himself on the back. I almost dislocated my shoulder from patting myself on the back so hard. No kidding. You, get, you win a, a couple bucks, now you got to pay a chiropractor bill. <laughs> and, and you're in the hole right away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what do you mean man. I don't have insurance for this? <laughs> so go back and have a listen. That was a lot of fun earlier this week, and we're going to have a lot more fun on the show today. We've got a special guest, guys, who's a great storyteller, too. Well, he's a writer, so he's got to be able to tell a story, right? This guy is an Owen Sound native who once held the heavyweight title in the Ontario Hockey League in the early 1990s. He actually played for his hometown Owen Sound Platers and scared everyone in the league. But away from the ice, he is known as the nicest guy you will ever meet. So much so, he's dabbled in writing, he's published a book, He's a well-known businessman in the Owen Sound area, and he still gives back to the hockey community. Please welcome to for future considerations, Sean Kruger. Sean, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you guys? Great. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Good. Thanks for coming on. Um, I'm a big fan of the show. I I think you guys do great things, and uh, yeah, looking forward to uh, recording this here with you. Did you hear that? We got one of them. <laughs> we got our only fan, right? Um, <laughs> um, we found him. He's right here, guys. <laughs> so, Sean, we got a lot to get to, but uh, first and foremost, we love talking about hockey, and I know that's something that you like talking about. Um, what do you remember about your playing days in the Ontario Hockey League? Um... You know, it's, it it went by so quick. It was uh, it was a dream come true. I was, you know, played my my minor hockey in Owen Sound, um, and then uh, tried out for the Junior B Grays when I was in minor midget. And 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 back then, you wanted to be playing Junior B or Junior C or Tier Two A to to get drafted. Well, I uh, I did I I I got cut from that team. So I ended up playing midget in Owen Sound, and and you know I was devastated because I thought that was it. You know, I'm going to miss my draft year because, I mean, there's no AAA or anything in this area back then. So 
uh, it was, you know, usually it was either play for the Grays or not get drafted type thing. So, um, yeah, simply put, I, I, uh, I guess I worked hard. I got back into the Grays lineup for a handful of games and then uh, kind of went off from there. Um, that year I also got invited to the Plater camp, uh, obviously undrafted. Uh, worked hard. I knew I was in tough there, but, uh, you know, a good experience. And then, again, halfway through that season, my, halfway through my rookie junior B year, I got called up and I think I played 11 or 12 games. And then uh, two more years in the league, and then, uh, yeah, had a chance to go to a Florida Panthers inaugural season uh, camp there, and, and yeah, it was a great experience, so wouldn't trade it for anything. It's funny how you look back at, uh, at your role um, in hockey and, and being uh, that physical force. Was that something that you always brought to the table? Is that something you learned that that was how you were going to make your mark in the league? What, what was that transition like for you? Well, well, certainly, um, I always, always had a physical part of my game. Uh, I guess I, I was a stay at home defenseman. I moved the puck, you know, won the battles in front, won the, won the corners. Uh, it wasn't until really, um, I hit the OHL where, oh, wow, these guys want to fight and it's for real here. So, I had to, I had to um, kind of learn how to fight in a hurry, and and uh, you know it, yeah, it worked out okay. But um, I never really considered I, I, you know, I was definitely a physical player, but I never considered myself a, a tough guy necessarily. Um, we had much better fighters even on our team, but you know, I was I was definitely the heavier heavier one, a bigger one, and and it it just I guess it came natural that way, but. Uh, no, it was uh, I, my game was always a, a physical style that that had never changed at all. So, back in the day, the game was more physical too, though, Sean, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was. It was more physical, uh, clutch and grab. Rules were a little different. Uh, hey, these kids today, man, they're they're super talented, and, uh, and and the game's better for it for sure. These kids, they work so hard, and and there's there's. You know, there's as much of a program on the ice, it's, there's a big enough program off the ice as well as far as training and nutrition and things like that. But, uh, um, yeah, it was, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, the, these kids today, it's, that's the way it is now. So Your Elite Prospects page shows three seasons in the Ontario Hockey League and one goal. Do you remember that one goal? How was it a hundred mile an hour slapper on the power play? Is this a Fred Wallace? Did it hit somebody's ass or or what happened with this one? (laughs) I actually was thinking about that today. Oh, geez. I actually have a few stories and and I was actually kind of hoping you would ask about that. Yeah, no, I was was definitely not a a, a goal specialist or power play specialist, but we're up in Ottawa and uh, honestly, I think we're winning. 7-2 7-2 maybe or something and and I I didn't I don't see a lot of power play time killed a bit of penalties but the the assistant coach I, he must have felt confident enough that I wasn't going to blow it that he goes he goes Krugs I you know, anchor the power play there I, I look back at him like what <laughs> I said we're on a we're on a power play and Len Simplis was our, our D coach assistant coach then and he goes, you want me to go out on the power play yeah I got a good feeling I said okay so and no, I wasn't a blaster from the point. Honestly, I think I was just, I was so nervous. I just wanted to make sure I just kept the puck in deep. So I uh, honestly, I pinched down to keep the puck in. It got rimmed around. It was, it was on the hash marks on the boards. 
And I just threw it on that and it went in. So <laughs> our bench, and this is my second year. This like I had already done a full season with with no goals. So scoring that goal was like my anybody else's 50th, right? So <laughs> the bench, the bench is going nuts. And I think my I, I pretty always broadcasted the games on the radio, so my my parents would listen to the radio. It was never on TV then, but but I, I guess you know Freddie was was going nuts, and our bench was going nuts, and and Ottawa's like the the, the players in our team are going, dude, it's that was your ninth goal, it's nine two. What are you talking about? Here? <laughs> so that, yeah, it was it was pretty special, and the coach flipped me the puck and says, hey, I honestly think it was just before Christmas, so and he says, hey, Merry Christmas. So it was it was definitely a memorable experience, and it was cool. I, that's like I said, that's. That's, uh, you know, Andrew Burnett's 50th goal to me. So <laughs> so yeah. um, everyone else was celebrating and going nuts, but did, did you just put your head down and act like you'd been there before? Or did you have a big celebration? Uh, I I think I probably did the tie Domi down the stick. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I could do that. Nobody bothered me, but it was, uh, yeah. But no, I was pretty pumped and I was super excited. And I just wanted that puck because everybody got got the puck and, and they put on a little trophy stand for them and I said I haven't got mine yet so that was my <laughs> I still have it displayed here down in my rec room it's one of the most proudest things I own so oh that's amazing yeah. that's okay. yeah Freddie says you scored with nine tenth of a second remaining in the game <laughs> that could be the other thing I, I, I might have in the game or the period I'm not sure but I, I do remember the play and the goal so yeah power play Lenny you want me on the power play <laughs> are you sure Yep. Okay. How was that? Oh, yeah. How was that bus ride back from Ottawa? Oh, it was. Yeah, it was good. It was uh, a seven-hour party. I didn't get a lot of sleep, so we didn't have cell phones or anything. I had to wait to tell my parents, but they already knew because they were listening to Freddie. So that's funny. It was good. It was a lot of fun for sure. I got. I got another story. My first game of the OHL is. It, you can't make this stuff up. Um, it was the the. Uh, the Platers were on an Eastern road swing and uh, they were in Belleville and I, I had practiced a little bit with them. I had not been in the lineup yet or anything. And, uh, and uh, Rick Morton, his, he had appendicitis. I'm not sure it was on the ice or if it was, was somewhere else in the hotel or whatever, but it was on the road trip. And, uh, and that same night, um, you know, the, the commercial doors with the little windows in it and they have the, the, uh, the mesh, Yes. Well, uh, yeah, uh, Keith Whitmore ended up punch. He was mad at whatever got thrown out and he ended up punching that little window and ripping his hand apart. So, um, I remember, I don't know what I was doing, but, but mom and dad were listening to the game on the radio and, and they said, Hey, I think there's two defensemen out. He goes, you never know. You might get a call here. Right? Cause they were in Peterborough the next day. So <clears throat> not too long after that, uh, the phone rings about 11 o'clock at night and, and it's Ray McKelvey. Hey, Sean there, yeah, so, hey, want to be in Peterborough tomorrow night? So he actually called myself and another teammate who was a actually a Plater draft pick, Mark Vilniff. And, uh, yeah, my dad, my mom and dad drove us down. It was exciting. And uh, <clears throat> I get uh, I get into the room and, um, you know, the, the team's already there and, and there's number five hanging in the stall where I'm supposed to be. Well, I get a little closer and I'm going, number five? It's Keith Whitmore's number. So I get all closer, and, and the name bar in the back has just got hockey tape over it. So they've taped over the name. So And I'm thinking, oh, man, I turn to the front of the jersey because he's the captain. He goes, oh, they've got the C taped over too. <laughs> so, 
So I'm going, okay, no extra jerseys, guys, or what? And I, apparently not. So I go for a warm up. We, you know, we start the game, and of course, the the tape's not staying on. So about second or third shift in, the tape starts coming off the back of Whitmore's name, and the fans in Peterborough pick up on it. This is my first game, right? I'm nervous. There's five thousand people in the stands, and Peterborough love their hockey, right? And so. They start. They just they, they they clue into this and they start chanting. You're not wit more. You're. So it, it started off with a with a, a small group of guys behind our bench and it turned into a whole section. So here I am. My the the C is already falling off. I took that off. So every time I went to the bench, Rick Mancini, love him to death. He he tries and retapes it and it'll be okay. It'll be okay. I said okay. So still in the first period, I'm going out. Tapes falling down off Whitmore's name. I'm the I'm the honorary captain for the night. This is my first game, and I go to block a shot, and um, hits my my skate and blows my skate up. So now I can't skate, but there's no blades. So I start. There's no blade on my skate. I start crawling on my hands and knees to the bench. Okay, you're not Whitmore. You're not. And so. Oh, yeah, this is really embarrassing. So I get on the bench and I go, hey, Rick, uh, my skate's broke. Do you think we can get another blade? He goes, we used them already on the road trip. I don't have any more blades. I go, what do you mean you don't have any more blades? I said, what about Peterborough? So they, he goes down there and they, they wouldn't give him a blade or they didn't have any or whatever. So he comes walking back with these, <laughs> these skates. I go, what do you mean I've got to wear somebody else's skates? Well, this is all they have. Well, they're Jason Cullimore's skates, size 12, 13. And you guys play hockey, man. Skates are everything. And there's no way you're going to want to wear somebody else's skates on your debut OHL experience. You got the name tag, Whitmore. Crowd yelling, you're not Whitmore. They got louder. Anyways, we got blown away. It was quite an experience. And I mean, Rob Haldy was the, was the acting general man. Well, he was the general manager and owner. He comes in, blasts everybody, just going around the room, and he just kind of skipped over me. I'm going, oh, thank God. So, anyways, that was quite an experience my first game. I got my skates fixed, and I think I played, like I said, 10 or 11 games after that. But that was my first OHL experience. So. <laughs> Welcome to the OHL. <laughs> oh, sure. I don't yeah. think anybody's got that story in, in OHL history. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They're the captain playing in other, somebody else's skates yeah. for their first game. Yeah. Yeah. You're not Whitmore. <laughs> Imagine what they would have chanted if they found out you were wearing his skates. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Jason, I would feel pretty cool because Jason Comer had a, actually a decent career in the NHL. So, oh, uh, well, they were big. Oh, there were two sizes too big. And I'm going, oh, boy. I was literally just going to say that. Uh, he was a Canucks prospect, and I remember he was a big guy. Well, he was, yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> um, so what was it like to get the chance to play in your hometown? That's something that not everybody gets to do. Uh, good in, a, in lots of lots of ways. You sleep in your own bed. You see your, your family still there. You've got home-cooked meals. Uh, on the other hand, yeah, hey, I mean, like I said, today there's social media, there's Twitter, these guys. It would be much harder today. Um, all, all I had was people yelling at me, you know, uh, from the stands and then that was it and the next game they were good it's, it's it's kind of another funny story my 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 folks had they've had season tickets since since day one and and my then my future wife who's my wife right now her grandma used to sit behind my mom and dad and she hated me 
<laughs> he always hurt me. Number seven, get off the ice, get off the ice. So it's quite a story, but yeah. Um, yeah, so some challenges that way, but uh, you know what? It, I, I actually really enjoyed it. And to be honest with you, I, it would have been a bigger fear trying to live from live away from home uh, after having that experience. So I personally had no problem. There was a couple other locals that did play after me. Uh, Chris Menard, I think, ended up getting traded in Curtis Sanford, of course. So I, I think that would be a good question for them because they were a few years after me and and a little more exposure for them. But yeah, no, it was okay. I, I actually enjoyed the experience. So so far, Chris, three of the best stories we've ever heard on this podcast. <laughs> I gotta say. <laughs> so uh, let's continue with this on, Sean, because I, I've got some more questions here for you. Um, Jerry Harrigan. I'm right. told, loved you. He, he would hold up his two fists, and he called mm-hmm. your right hand the emergency room and your left mm-hmm. hand intensive care. Is this yes. right? That's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, Jerry was my absolute favorite coach. Uh, uh, I mean, I played the better part of five years at junior, and I had a different coach every year and and that that was a challenge having a new coach every year trying to impress and and you know somebody that doesn't know you necessarily undrafted and yeah you're you got you know no goals until your second season type thing but no jerry was uh treated me really well and uh he he i think he liked the the type of player i was physical hard-nosed kind of guy so how did he give yeah. you the nicknames, though? <laughs> what? Emergency room and intensive care. I don't know. I, I maybe he was, uh, you know, telling a uh, doing a prep rally before one of the games or something like that, and he was using me as a as an example on how to play or something like that. But no, I he uh, he did call me that a lot. Yes. <laughs> I, I've never heard anybody a coach call up a player's hands. With those nicknames. <laughs> That's did, great. Did, did you get them after your fight with Matt Johnson? Um, well, yeah, that was was that year. Matt Johnson was a was a, an interesting uh, you know, God love him right now. I hope he's doing okay. I don't know where he is, but I know that TSN story came out and, and all the best to him. Um, all due respect to him and he had a decent career for sure. And he had he had it hard. He he was he had to he had to fight his way through. So, but uh, yeah, uh, he was kind of the up and comer there, and and big boy man, he was, geez, six four two thirty type thing, and uh, and he just loved killing guys. So, um, I it, it, what happened? It was actually in Peterborough. It was uh, touch icing back then, and and so I'm just going back to do a touch icing, and and it kind of turned up, and he had he had cross checked Brian Medeiros, one of our rookies, square in the face. And, uh, and I was still back in our end zone and he, this was up at center ice. So, I mean, I had to, I had to get up there in a hurry and, and intervene and, and we, we kind of squared off and the, the crowd went, you know, pretty bananas when, when, when Matt Johnson goes to fight and, and he'd already had a pretty good reputation. And, and so, um, yeah, that was a, that was a, a pretty good tilt. Uh, he missed me with a, a really good haymaker and I think I came in underneath and I caught him and it was a, a it was a first punch, one punch. So he, uh, yeah, he, he was down and out and he was knocked out. So that was, uh, you know, there was no, I guess no social media back then, but word traveled fast through amongst the players from, from town to town. So, um, yeah, I, I, I got a lot of respect after that and a, and a little bit of room. So, 
Um, yeah, no, but yeah, Matt Johnson, that was a, that was a crazy night. He was a pretty tough cat for sure. Cause I was just, I want to say a rookie covering the OHL in London. And I heard about that story right, in 92, yeah. 93, this guy's six foot five, two thirty, Matt Johnson and yeah. Sean Kruger wins the tilt known as the two biggest heavyweights in the OHL that year. Did you, well, did I think that. That's how I got my name is after that fight for sure. I guess that's labeled the OHL heavyweight champion because, I mean, hey, like I said, there was a fight can go any way, especially in the ice, and that just I got lucky. Uh, he missed, which it could have been a totally different story, but uh, but yeah, and I just caught lucky uh, catching him underneath there, but yeah. We've heard from guys on this podcast who absolutely enjoyed fighting, and then we've heard from other guys who really didn't enjoy it, but just did it because that's what they had to do. Where do you fall on that? Did you enjoy it, or were you kind of sitting there anxious each night knowing you were going to have to go out and face the other team's toughest guy? To me, fighting was a, it spurred on by emotion for myself. Where the, And there was lots of stage fights back there. I couldn't, couldn't get into a stage fight. I, I never understood that, but mine was more of a, of a you know kind of a bodyguard protector type role and so I got I got real fired up when when somebody did something to my to our teammates and things like that and I guess that's kind of the role I fit into but uh no the I I know I, I mean hey lots of guys those are the toughest guys to fight are the guys that don't care that love fighting but uh you know no I I didn't enjoy it at all um you know I, I knew I had to do it but uh no I didn't it, it, there is some Lots of you know anxiety, especially going up to places like Sault Ste. Marie when Chris Chris Simon and Tony Yob are in the lineup, and and you you just pray that they're suspended or something like that. Not that I was afraid; it was just I knew it was going to be me, and uh, and because I knew these guys would run around, especially especially Simon, and and so there was there was a, a few arenas like that, and then there were some arenas where I knew I could push myself around and, and the role, you know, the shoe was on the other foot type thing. But, uh, no, I, I didn't, I didn't love it, but, um, I knew it was part of the, part of the script. And that, uh, for me, like I said, fighting was, was on the, on the emotional side. Like I had to do it and, and you get fired up and you didn't really think about it then. So like at the time, so yeah. Did, did that, um, moniker the tough guy moniker carry with you to florida for their training camp and how was that experience yeah it sure did um i went to the uh the nhl draft that year in quebec city and i, I wasn't i wasn't really on the draft list i was on the list but i knew i knew there was probably a small chance that i was going to get drafted but um it was in quebec city and and so rob holiday took took me down and basically introduced me to a whole bunch of gms and kind of network that way and and uh, out of that I did get a few invites I got I think Jersey New York Rangers and in Florida was was another one um, Chuck Fletcher was the assistant GM there and uh, you know he, he gave me a call sent me a letter and then uh, yeah the I picked that because they were it was an inaugural year so a lot of those guys were were on their second and third contracts there were, a lot of them were American League guys and I thought you know what might have a, a my best chance of doing something with us and it was a smaller camp there was only 45 guys in camp no such thing at least in florida there, actually i don't think there was really a what they call a rookie camp back then anyways you just kind of you went to camp and 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 that's the way it goes but yeah there's a few i got uh you know i was 
you know, maybe first inner squad game and the coach comes up to me who was uh, Cincinnati's coach at the time, which was the IHL affiliate to the, to the Panthers. He comes up to me and goes, Sean, I, I know you're not here to, to score goals. Um, I think, you know, we got to see what you can do. So I go, oh, it's for real here. So I, I got into a couple of fights. Uh, I probably got probably four or five fights. I fought um, a guy twice. Uh, that would be the equivalent to me, the 20-year-old uh, undrafted. He was from the Western Hockey League. <clears throat> he was a forward. I fought him a couple times in the, in the same game. But the, I guess the, the, the biggest challenge I had was Darren Kimball was in, was in the lineup. And, of course, he had knocked out Troy Crowder and fought all the tough guys. And, and everybody in camp knew he, who he was. So um, John Van Beesbrook was my goalie. And I, I had a pretty cool name, Scott Mellenby. Dave Lowry was also on my team. So we actually had a pretty good inter squad team, but but Kimmel came in and he kind of slashed John Van Viesbroek, and so it's like okay, can't do that. So over I go at him, and he goes, "You want to do this?" And I go, "Oh, what am I getting into?" So he starts skating to center ice, <laughs> taking off all his equipment. So like the refs aren't jumping in. This is this is camp. So the not only that, it's like camp. it was open. What's that? This is spring camp. <laughs> this is yeah. This is training camp, and and so <laughs> the, it was a uh, uh, because it was an inaugural year. They it was open to the public, free admission. There was ten thousand people at this inter squad game. The lower bowl was full, and so Kimball starts game backwards. His helmet's off, his gloves, his shirt. Well, what am I getting into here? We square off, and he, you know. I think I probably had him maybe in weight and, and a bit of size, but he's a seasoned vet, right? And he's 6'2", probably 195, 210 pounds, something like that. And he hit me two to every one I got. So it was like, bang, bang, and I would get a good one in. And he hit, bang, bang, i get another one in. We, I, we stood in there. I stood in there, and I, I caught him with one and just kind of brushed him to his knees. But that was about it. They got in, and... And then uh, I actually didn't exactly know who was fighting at the time until I got to the penalty box and they, they did the announcements over the PA and it was Darren Kimball and I go, oh, I got sick in the box right there. <laughs> so it gets better because because the uh, the next morning we're having breakfast uh, down at the, the old, remember the Durrell Rider open? So we stay where the Durrell, at the, at the Durrell uh, complex there where, that, where the golf course is in that big tournament. But... And it was pretty big in the nineties, but anyways, I go down into to have breakfast and and uh, I'm the rookie. I get my bowl of berries and my and my. I want to eat the bacon and eggs, but I get my bowl of berries and and uh, and cereal. I'm looking around and and there's no seats available except the one with John Van Viesbroek, Scott Mellenby, and Darren Kimball. And I'm going, oh my god! So <clears throat> I look around and and Darren Kimball looks over and he goes, "You can sit here, Krugs." So I go sit down and I kind of tell you my, my whole right side of my eye, my face was swelled shut. Like I, <laughs> he, yeah, he, he beat me and I'm looking at him up and down. I'm going, geez, I thought I hit you more and he looks fine. <laughs> he goes, Did I do that to you? I go, yeah, I think so. He goes, well, he, he goes, it was a good tilt. <laughs> and he goes, you know what a sports psychologist is? I go, and it was new to me. And it's like, not really. I think he goes, I don't know either. He goes, all I know is, is they're telling me I got to go see a sports psychologist. And I had no idea what that meant. So <laughs> that, was, 
<laughs> it was a, it was a ton of fun. So, uh, yeah, you know what? Uh, I had two weeks there. Um, I actually went uh, to uh, Kevin Weeks, great great friend of mine. Uh, he's doing awesome. Obviously, yeah. I think he was part of that draft lottery tonight on on the studio, but. So we just before Florida, we so he got drafted to Florida. So I was to stay at his his folks' place uh, and fly out from from Toronto. So we were going together. So we skated. The the players were were skating. Um, you know they were into camp already, and so we were skating just to get some extra ice. So I had to. Uh, you know the deal was I'd ride with Kevin. We stayed at his places. So we're heading. I don't know if you guys know, but there's a uh, there's a town called Primrose between Toronto and Owen Sound. Right. Yeah. And we all know it's in Primrose, Superbird. <laughs> so I've had I've had to check in my weight. So I was like, not that I struggled with my weight, but I don't know. I played maybe 230, 225, and I thought that was fine for me. So I get Florida says, you know, we want you in at 215. Oh, okay. So I and I work hard, very hard that summer. So Kevin Weeks, who has about seven percent body fat takes a little left-hand turn into the parking lot of Subaru. I go, what are you doing? I go, what are you doing? He goes, I can't drive by this place without getting something. You're kidding me. I said, I, I'm not eating for three days, so I make weight. He goes, well, that sucks. And then so he ate two banquet burgers in front of me, mouthed them down, and we drove on to his folks' place. And, and yeah, they were amazing people, and we flew out. But I just, Kevin was, yeah, what a what a great guy. And we were actually really good friends. And, even that year with the uh, with the Platers, not only we have the best goalie in the league, we might have had the second best goalie. With I don't even know who would be. I mean, Storzy went first round, but but Kevin Weeks was not far behind. We might have had the best one-two goalie in the entire league. So we were pretty blessed. And I think uh, after maybe three quarters of the way through that season, if not the next, we Kevin Weeks got traded, which he needed to be a number one somewhere else. But yeah, that was. Florida was a lot of fun as well. So, yeah, Jamie Storr and, and Kevin Weeks, what a great tandem that was. Jamie Storr, didn't he play for the World Juniors that year as well? So I think it was '93. Uh, yes, he played for the World Juniors and, and won gold. So I got to see his medal. I would, did not go back for my overage year, so um, uh, I ended up playing, going back to play for uh, Brian O'Leary with the uh, with the Grays to, to kind of sum it up. So. Um, I, yeah, I'd work, I had a work career going on and, and I couldn't do the overage thing. So, yeah, maybe that's a good way to go. How did you transition out of hockey? When did you know, you know what, you know, I'm going to focus on something else. Well, I spent, like I said, about, uh, the, the draft picks in Florida would always, they would go home after a period of time, a week or whatever. So once Kevin left camp, I was kind of by myself there. And, and so we, you know, we got into real practices and, and real, uh, you know, uh, real, real games and, and things like that. So I, we had a, a home and home with, with Tampa Bay. I did not get in those lineup in that lineup. I was told that I was going to get in with Hartford. So I always had an inclination. I always kept my skates with me. I didn't, all the other gear was, was supplied. So I was supposed to go to Hartford with them, but, uh, you know, what, what really hit home was when Bobby Clark called, there was about five of us in, he was a general manager at the time. There was, there was couple of American college kids and then a, the Western Western guy and myself and he calls us calls us in and you know you're you know you're that's where you realize you're, you're honestly just a number and uh, you know I was he just says well you guys are going to Cincinnati uh, check with Chuck get your plane tickets and 
they'll hook up with you, you know, you'll hook up with whoever in Cincinnati. So I sat there and, you know, kind of when I was done, it was like, you know, that your whole life you work towards, you know, you really just a number where they just, that's all you are up there. So, you know, I was, it was very disheartening. I mean, I'd rather, you know, they couldn't even give me a one-on-one for five minutes. Tell me how, you know, I got to work on this, this, and this, but no, it was just together. They cut us, release us, and that's your whole NHL dreams down the tube. So, um, end up going to Cincinnati, spent, uh, you know, I think another month there. And then it was, uh, they were going to sign me to a three-way deal with East Coast League. And East Coast League is much better than it was back then. It, it was $500 a week. And, and I talked it over with my folks and, and, uh, you know what, there was some pretty big, big, tough guys. And did I want to stand in there with some 30 year olds and, and fight for $500 a week. And that's where I said, you know what, I have a decent career going on back home and, and, uh, I have a, a good job. So I went into the working field. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how it ended. So yeah, it was, uh, very emotional at the time. And that plane ride home from, from Cincinnati was, was, uh, yeah, it was a long one for sure. And any regrets from that? I don't have any regrets whatsoever. Um, it played out the way it played out. Uh, I met my wife here in Owen Sound, and if I was playing down the line, it wouldn't have happened, and I wouldn't have the family. I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. So, yeah, yep. well, I, I have zero regrets whatsoever, and it was a fantastic. My my goal, honestly, was to play in the OHL. NHL was was definitely out of my reach, in my opinion. Um, you know, there was an opportunity to be a uh, try and be a tough guy, I guess. There was that enforcer role in the NHL back then. There's no room now, really, but there was a spot on the team for that. Uh, and you know what? I would have gladly signed up for that. Um, but you're, you're, what you're making is quite a bit different than what you make in East Coast League. So. And, and your mother-in-law eventually liked you, right? So that was good. That, that, <laughs> that worked out. Yeah, no, I, have a, I have a pretty good mother-in-law, a pretty good family, and uh, got her made here. So, yeah. She doesn't chirp you. Right. So, no, no, it was, uh, it was my wife's grandma. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, my mother-in-law loves me. Just so you know, she's going to listen to this later. (laughs) Her name's Darlene. Hi, Darlene. So, so so now you're in a little bit of everything. Talk about Kruger Custom Steel. That's a, one of the most successful businesses in the Owen Sound area. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, you know, my father started it over 30 years ago, um, and uh, my brother and I and my dad still look after it. We we lost our mom. We lost our mom both in 2018. She was a big part of the business as well and helped grow it. Um, yeah, so I'm just trying to do my part and and keep up uh, with the partnership. And uh, we're extremely busy right now. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a um, machine and fabrication business and. Uh, it's we're kind of the only one in town now and uh you know industries have dropped off quite a bit no one sounds so we're expanding obviously to bruce power which is a big employer in this area um and we're we expand all the way over to alliston honda so we do quite a bit of work for them as well so it's yeah every day is different and i'm on the road doing sales a lot and trying to drum up business where i can so and as we're finding out here, you know how to tell the good story. So um, <laughs> what was the process to uh, writing the book, uh, Cabin Shadows? How did that come about? Uh, well, it's uh, like the, the back of the book says, it's, uh, this was a trip that 20, 20 years in the making, uh, some of my closest friends and family 
Uh, it's a fishing trip. It's a guy's fishing trip. It's, uh, you know, the, the setting for the book is, is, is that trip. Uh, and probably 20 years, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I can turn this into a story somehow. It's just such a memorable trip. And, and, uh, and so I turned it into a story. I'm a, I'm big kind of a horse, uh, kind of paranormal type, uh, fan. And, uh, that's where I spun the book in, into something like that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a group of buddies that, uh, come into contact with, uh, these beings called shadows and, uh, the fun begins. And so, uh, the main character, David comes home, uh, after being abducted for a week and, I can't tell you the rest. So. <laughs> oh, no, you got to buy the book. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's based no, on a fishing trip, but nobody was abducted, right? <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people think that story is true. So, anyways. <laughs> I don't even know if I don't even know if I believe in the paranormal or not. I'm just I'm just interested in it and I I love reading. I just love reading and I love horror stories and horror movies i'm actually writing i write for a podcast called chilling tales for dark nights uh there's i've got one story out there it's called what lurks behind hey do you remember in own sound back in your own sound days you ever heard of the legend mary rutherford yeah 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 Yeah, so i have a short story that i spun that legend into and and chilling tales for dark nights picked it up and they did a production on it it's pretty good and then uh i've got another one going to production the next in probably within the next couple weeks so it's called a great future. So it's uh, and yeah. So I'm writing short stories for them, and and like I said, my grade twelve teacher would would be impressed. They're actually paying me to write these stories. So um, <laughs> I do have a lot of respect for those who write for a living, though. I tell you, uh, uh, very much. I if if I had to make a living on my writing, I, I wouldn't go very far for sure. But those those people that write for a living, journalism's and authors, and and I have a lot, a much found respect for them after doing this project for sure so now, what was the project like for you how did it start putting either pen to paper or finger to keyboard and, and what's that right. process and timeline like well i i kind of i like history so the, the the this where we go it was actually it it was built in the early 1900s so it was an old logging logging uh kind of it was a logging site before the cabin was actually built, but but uh, I had to dig up um, all the historic facts. So I, I didn't know one of the owners, and and they had lodged. They had it was actually a running lodge back in the twenties, thirties, and forties, and so they actually recorded. Uh, I had written, handwritten, and typed um, uh, lodge minutes, and so it was. I had to dig into. There was the, the coolest part of it all was was digging up the history of, of where we go and we've been going for 20 years. So I had to, I had to do my, uh, I had to do my research first and then kind of wrote out in point form, kind of what direction I wanted to go. And then just tried to try to write it, uh, you know, kind of chapter by chapter. So, like I said, it was for myself, it was a challenge, but I, I find writing easier now after I've done that. So, um, I don't know. Maybe my grade twelve teachers would be impressed. I'm not sure. I think I got sixty five in English or something. So, <laughs> I, I think it's fantastic. I'm going to have to check out the podcast as yeah, well. I think the stories cool. are great. Uh, it's fantastic. And and you're still involved in hockey, right? Oh yeah. Um, it was I, I coached both my kids all the way up, and uh, like I said, Braden's the youngest. He's 
he's got one more year left in for the Legionnaires in Sarnia. Um, but uh, it was when he first moved away, I kind of I got out of actually coaching a team, but I did do lots of skills and drills for for local teams, local AAA here, the Hounders, as well as the Owen Sound uh, minor hockey system. Um, I always help out with tryouts, and that's where I was the last few weeks. And um, yeah, I love coaching, and I think once I, I don't I don't want to miss a minute of of my son's playing days here. So. I mean, after next year, uh, he'll probably go off to university or whatever. But uh, I'll definitely get back into it a little more, a little more of a head coaching role type thing. But no, I love the game and I love being involved. And honestly, my favorite part is coaching. So I, uh, I'm a, I'm being a head coach is is a bit of a challenge, um, in 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 its own right. Uh, I always say the easiest job in the world is assistant coach. So I get to do everything I want with the players but not have to put up with any of some of the politics that go on. But, and I, I know I'm not saying any teams I've been involved with. We, I've been very fortunate. I've had fantastic parents, but you hear some horror stories in Meyer hockey. And I've, I've been pretty fortunate that, that being an assistant coach is a much better role for me. So For sure. Uh, you mentioned Braden that plays in, in the GOJHL uh, as well in, in Sarnia. How often do you remind him when you look at your statistical lines? He's got 90 junior B games in his career and only 16 penalty minutes yeah. that you're still the strongest uh, crewer in the family. <laughs> the apple's still on the tree, put it that way. That's right. <laughs> um, constantly trying, yeah, you got to be more physical, you got to do this, and he just kind of – they yeah they don't fight anymore there's no fighting there's no i mean yeah this and that but uh not 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 like it was but um no i always just encourage him to do his best and and you know what at the end of the day it's you're doing something you love and and you know what you have a bad game so be it but uh uh sarny itself they've got a to me they've got a great group and what a great place for 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 a kid and, and i wouldn't want Braden to be anywhere else but uh Derek Demuzio is a head coach there, and he's really taken Braden under his wing. And going into his last year, uh, Derek's still on that bench, and I couldn't couldn't be more happier. So that's great. And um, before we let you go, uh, that quote: "As I was looking up your book, never give up. Great things take time. Where does that right. come from?" Uh, a bit of my mom. She she was always uh, you know always encouraged. Never. There was never any negativity coming from her. She just says, you just work hard and good things will happen. And another model she would say is do the right thing. So, um, yeah, no matter, yeah, I, inspired by my mom, I think, for sure. So. It's a great quote. Uh, great yeah. things take time, never give up. And never give up the writing, Sean. Great storyteller. And looking forward <laughs> to hearing more of the stories. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Sure. No, thanks, guys. And like I said, I'll... I love I love the podcast. You guys are doing great, doing great things, and uh, I love the guests that you have on. So uh, keep up the good work. Wow, what a guest! Our thanks again to Sean Kruger, a great storyteller, talking about his days playing for his hometown Owen Sound Platers back in the day, uh, and now he's a successful businessman and hockey coach, running Kruger Custom Steel, and he's an author. Uh, his book again is called The Cabin Shadows. And he's writing for a podcast as well. This guy's a great storyteller. I We interview these people and I feel like I got to do more, right? Like he's played hockey at a very high level. He has all those stories to tell. He's uh, a writer. He's written a book, which is not an easy thing to do. He's into podcasting. I mean, my God. And then he also runs one of the most prominent businesses in Owen Sound.
you know what, John, you're good enough. You're smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like you too. Don't you talk like that. Don't you come on this platform and talk like that, John Rashad. <laughs> Matt, in the G-O-J-H-L days, when you bump into his kid, you're going to have to tell him, dude, your resume is weak. you got to live up to a yeah. lot. Well, like like Sean said, we've got uh, one more year of, of Braden in our league is, is overage season, and uh, he's only got about 140 penalty minutes to get caught up here. So <laughs> He's going to have one great last season in the GOJHL. Sarnia penalty, number 18. <laughs> yeah, but the bigger question is, is left hand called emergency room and his right hand called intensive care? I don't know. <laughs> I've never heard of a UFC guy that's had nicknames that friggin' cool. <laughs> so cool. Hey, if you... Didn't get enough of this interview. Go check out some of our previous interviews on the show. Yeah, we've talked to all kinds of hockey executives. Uh, like you said, guys that also had books. Nathan Charletti's book, uh, we just had him on uh, a week or so ago. I'm uh, almost about to, to wrap that one up. That's a great story, too. So he does a great job reflecting on his hockey career and, and what that, that meant to, has meant to him. So, I mean, we got people talking hockey. We've got uh, writers. We've got pretty much everything. And we've got John Rashad, like every friggin' episode. So what more do you need? That's right. And also, um, if you have any suggestions on guests or um, any uh, questions you want us to ask or answer even on our show, uh, for future considerations at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us that way. Yeah, like if you know anybody, hook us up here. <laughs> <laughs> we got some people that are listening on there and say, oh, yeah, my neighbor's Mick Jagger. He'd be a good <laughs> like, all right, share the wealth here. Come on. Speaking of music, we've got a great guest lined up next week. We're not going to give it away, but he is a prominent Canadian artist. Is that, a, oh is that what God. we call a tease? A tease. Does his name rhyme with Fryin' Fratoms? <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay. All right. <laughs> But I understand he does have a Windsor connection, and I he has nicknames for his left and right hand as well. So we'll talk, we'll talk about that on the next edition of the OT next week. Stay tuned for that. And don't forget to check out our social media platforms uh, when you're doing that as well. Podcast FFC on Twitter and Instagram for future considerations on Facebook. We want to thank our sponsors on the show, London Awnings, Quality That Shows, and Shane Topolovic of Next Level Athletics in Windsor, specializing in sport training and nutrition, and back to ghosting, Matt and Manny. <laughs> Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we will talk to you on the next edition of Four Future Considerations. That was a disgraceful performance, in my opinion. In my opinion, that sucked. Their mentality's awful. Their attitude's awful. It's been their M.O. for the last three years. Tonight I saw and heard one of the most disgusting, rudest, sick demonstrations in my entire career. Probably the worst. It's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. You're still here? It's over. Go home.